Welcome to the Shock Your Potential podcast with your host, Michael Sherlock. We all have potential, but sometimes we need inspiration to get us to our peak performance. Whether you are starting out in your career, ready to move up the corporate ladder, or taking the leap into entrepreneurship, Michael's guests provide powerful tools and resources to shock your potential. Shock Your Potential is a global professional development training company committed to your unique journey. Learn more about us today at shockyourpotential.com and download our free Shock Your Potential app today. Listen in to today's expert. Thank you for joining us on another episode of Shock Your Potential. I am your host, Michael Sherlock, and all month long, we are talking about how we can and should care for our communities. And this is really important on so many levels. And my guest today is going to have a perspective you might not have thought about. So let me tell you a little bit about her. She's the Reverend Dr. Marsha Ledford, and she's a civil rights attorney, but she has a ministry that's even greater than that. And what she does is located primarily in Southwest Detroit's Latinx population, which is an international port with a very aggressive regional ICE director. Now, Marsha is a civil rights attorney, but here's what she really wants to do with that. She wants to make sure that society is not marginalizing people. Let's talk about that. That's really important and an important dialogue we're all having today. Now, she's also an Episcopal priest. She holds a Master of Divinity from the Church Divinity School of the Pacific. She earned her Doctorate of Ministry in Political Theology from Pacific School of Religion, and she founded Political Theology Matters, LLC, to help the faithful develop public theology mission and in the process, broadcast messages for greater social justice. And aren't we all really aligned to that right now? And you know, we need to be, if you're not, we're going to convince you to be during this podcast or another, but she trained for community organizing through the industrial areas foundation. And she also volunteers with Michigan United. Now her organization is a for-profit because she didn't want speech constraints that a 501c3 charity has, but she also does this because it allows her greater altruistic and philanthropic enterprise. And it really is to inspire people to do good. So I think she's going to not only uh, tell us a few things that we need to know to be better in who we are in our communities, but she's going to tell us a little something about her neighborhood, her, her the mission she serves, and the people that we can learn a little bit more about. So Marsha, thank you so much for joining us today. Well, thank you, Michael. It's a pleasure to be with you. Thank you. You have a, a lot in your bio that uh, inspires me, but also because it's really important for us to be paying attention to diversity and social inclusion and understanding of the differences in people. But I just hit some of the highlights. Tell us a little bit more about you and your mission and how what you do helps people to shock their potential. Well, I love the title of your show because I think we could all do with a good dose of shocking our potential these <laughs> days because we've, we've got a lot of uh, pretty serious problems. And so I write and speak and teach and preach uh, to, to help people get better equipped to be faith-based advocates in the public square for social justice. So uh, people ask me, what is political theology? And it, it's actually got a pretty simple definition. It's taking your faith uh, formation, what you believe, 
and using that as a basis for calling out uh, injustice and demanding uh, greater equality across our social spectrum. It doesn't mean it has to be Christian. I happen to be a, a Christian cleric uh, from the Episcopal branch of Jesus's vineyard, but you can be a Muslim. A <laughs> you can be a Muslim. You can be Jewish. You can be uh, Jain. You can be Buddhist. What, whatever it is that you are, you have a right and you have protection under the First Amendment to speak faithfully for greater justice. And so that's mm -hmm. what I'm all about. That's what my mission does. And it, it, it came to be after uh, my being absolutely appalled at what our archaic immigration laws are doing to Latino families uh, in, in Southwest Detroit. That was my initial exposure, but um, I'm not easily uh, left without words, but I just could not believe what I was seeing us do under the auspices of the so-called law. Mm. So that's when I decided to uh, turn this into my full-time mission, and um, I still have strong ties to the Latinx community, and uh, as a matter of fact, um, I'm honored to be um, attending uh, a lobbying effort in Washington, D.C. on September 21st and 2nd as the markup language for the infrastructure bill is... Uh, sort of parceled out and uh, we want to be sure and get our demands in with respect to pathways to citizenship, which is a part of that bill. Mm -hmm. um, Congress allocated $107 billion. So we're pretty excited. This is the closest we've been to having meaningful change in our immigration process for a long mm -hmm. time. And I'm just delighted to be a part of that. You know, speaking of that, um, I, we were talking about this before we started taping and I'd love to have you clarify because I, you taught me something I did not know because as we were going through your bio, I asked you if it was correct that it was, uh, spelled or pronounced Latin X because, and, and I said, instead of a Latino community, and will you talk a little bit about that? Because you, you gave me such a great awareness of, and I'm not going to say a mistake because I, I didn't know, but, you know, something that was critically important for me to understand a distinction in, in that community and how we actually verbalize the Latin community. Well, um, Spanish, like the Romance languages are all inflected, meaning that nouns have a gender assigned to them. And so when we say Latino neighborhood, uh, it can be interpreted as being all men. So uh, the practice has been adapted to start saying Latin X, which is neutral and is intended to include everybody. Um, sometimes you'll see Latin written with an at sign at the end, mm -hmm. um, which makes an A and an O. So mm -hmm. it's a way to have both a feminine and a masculine ending. Um, and, and so this is, um, you know, this has been an ongoing effort to uh, be more inclusive when this inflected language, when terms from this inflected language are used. English mm -hmm. is not inflected. We don't assess gender to our nouns. And so uh, we still can, are still, our language is still, uh, has uh, male plurals often are, you know, considered to include women. 
Um, yeah. We used to see mankind, which means everybody, but right. Instead so of humankind. I think, I think it's important to adopt that uh, if that's what's going on within the community that speaks the language. Oh, which I agree. And I never actually, when we were talking and I was kind of giggling when you were talking about the apparent sign or however it's pronounced that I never thought of it was also the A and the O together. I know. That's, that's that actually cool? brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> But I also, um, I also appreciate the fact that, you know, you're talking about inclusion and diversity. And so just by even saying Latin X community that allows for no specific gender of either male or female, because mm-hmm. we're having much better dialogues today about fluidity or, you know, identity. And, and, and I think that when we, if we're really going to be a more higher level conscious society where we really care about the differences of people, we will start to take more um, care of that. And somebody said to me that I interviewed, I think for my July series, who was talking about gender, um, uh, really um, uh, gender in the workplace and diversity in the workplace. And uh, he said, you know, today we should all have our pronouns in everything that we do. You should have it on your LinkedIn profile. You should have it on your Zoom thing. And now that I'm saying it out loud, I'm like, oh, I keep thinking I should do that. (laughs) And I always forget. But to me, it's not... I said, well, gosh, you know, I, I never really thought of that, that because it wasn't important to me. And he said, it might not be important to you, but by having that written, it tells people that are, that their identity is important to them, that you support them in that. I'm like, ah, so here we're even having the same conversation. I don't have it on my zoom link, so I better do it after we're done. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So this is, uh, so what got you started in this, Marsha? What, what made you so passionate about this? I know you said that you saw things that were happening uh, with people who are trying to uh, immigrate and, and become a part of the United States society, but you know, what really sparked this in you? Well, we have to go back to when I was coming of age and um, which was in the late seventies and early eighties. Uh, And I came out as a lesbian Mm -hmm. and I had been very involved in my church growing up. And so I had a a really difficult coming out process, um, at least with my own personal struggle. And then when I met Linda, um, things got a lot better because she was very comfortable with who she was. But I felt like I had to choose between my faith and Mm -hmm. being who I was. And this is very true. Even today, this is still something that our LGBT youth and young adults struggle with uh, on a a horrendous level. Um, So while I am white, um, I'm still a woman navigating American society. And um, I had to navigate it as a lesbian, as somebody who couldn't get married legally, as somebody who couldn't cover or be covered by her her partner's health insurance. Yes. Um, the rules of inheritance are, inheritance are very uh, important. You've got to have a will in place. You've got to have a patient advocate designation so that oh, yes. um, the hospital staff is not forced to slam the door on you. Oh. Um, all these things uh, were what I grew up with and navigated my early and middle adulthood with. So again, 
um, my, I recognize that white, my, my white privilege affords me certain um, benefits, really, um, you know, um, that they give me opportunities being white that I wouldn't ordinarily have as a person of color. I recognize that. But I still was uh, a second class citizen in many of the fundamental ways that we regard being an American. Mm-hmm. Um, the Supreme Court has said the right to marry is fundamental to us as, as human beings. And so um, over time, I became uh, more uh, sensitive to the call to ministry that I had experienced from when I was a teenager. But of course, I wasn't seeing women and I certainly wasn't seeing lesbians up at the pulpit and the altar. Right. So I finally agreed. I finally said to the Holy Spirit, all right, uh, if I'm going to go do this and be ordained and whatever, you're going to have to help me. So, uh, and she all right, had, big guy, here's your test. <laughs> yeah. And, and so um, I became ordained in the Episcopal Church and then I served the community, uh, the Latinx community. And it, it was a combination of my love of the gospel and my experience as a civil rights attorney that really fueled this mission, which I view to be the capstone work of my working life. Um, I just became so disgusted by what I experienced. And part of me as that young adult who struggled and couldn't get married and all of those things, there's a great uh, mystic, uh, Henry Nowen, who, who wrote a book called The Wounded Healer where we take the wounds and the bad things that happen to us and we turn them into strengths that we can use to help other people. Yes. And so I view this work at all as a function of being that wounded healer, even though I don't know exactly what it's like to be a person of color or what it's like to have deportation, the potential of deportation hanging over my head or the head of somebody that I really love. But I decided that this is not good. Yeah. This is yeah. very, very bad. And we, if we don't do anything about it, it won't stop. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting um, that you say that because it really gets down to the, the heart of what we all need to do. I mean, to be a better society, it's not just about the government doing something different or you know, a different law that's passed. It's about, it's about us individually making changes that change enough things that we can change the whole system. I mean, obviously laws are important and we're seeing some really interesting things going on with laws right now um, that are impacting a lot of, uh, a lot of freedoms. Um, And we're seeing, you know, I mean, we're seeing now the, the exit from Afghanistan and, you know, thinking about what's going to happen to those women who for you know, not all of the last 20 years, but a good portion of it had known freedoms. It's, you know, I feel like to your point, when you have so much, it's so important to try to make things better for those who don't have it as good as we have it, Mm -hmm. but it takes a lot of guts to do that. Well, and I think sometimes people think that when a law is made, that it's carved into stone. (laughs) It's Uh not. If it needs to be or changed or thrown out then you know we but we have to work for it and something that you just said michael you know you talk about we have this government well we the people put the go we 
elected the people that sit in those chairs in the Congress yep. and in the halls of justice and our sister states and local governments. We are responsible for what they do. We yes. are responsible. And that's part of what got me so upset about seeing little children's parents deported, uh, you know, torn apart, uh, families just torn apart. Um, our Congress has the power to change those laws. And if they won't change them, then we need to put people in there who will. Yeah. And it's just that simple. But yeah. And that's it. I mean, we have the, we have the power, we do have the power in our vote and that's, it's an important right that, um, that some, I, you know, I, every time there's an election, I'm always awed that we have this, this opportunity to vote and have our vote, whether mm-hmm. it ends up who you wanted in there or not, the voting still is important because that is something that not everybody has, but that is the way your, your voice is heard. And if you don't win because you didn't have as much many vo- voices, then we have to understand what's going on in the rest of our society to try and continue to learn and talk and find ways together. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the fact that all these voter suppression bills are pending throughout the country is an indicator that elected people know that they are in danger of being voted out because they are potentially not doing the will of the people. And they want to silence certain marginalized corners of the voting population to retain their power. This is uh, an anathema as far as I'm concerned. Uh, this is this smacks in the face of our democracy. Uh, er- yeah, everybody and, needs to be able to vote. Who's yeah, and and that and I I agree with that that everybody does need to be able to vote. I am, you know, I try not to to be too political um, on on this or anything else that I do, but I do I do have the sense that you know with everything there's got to be a better safeguards that we can put in place because I do I. I do think that we need to watch where restrictions are that shouldn't be. I also think that some things that we aren't watching closely enough may be problematic, but the whole thing to me is not picking one side or the other, but saying, why, you know, why can't we have a dialogue about this? We need to have a dialogue about the entire issue so we can not be black or white or left or right or right or wrong, but understand that there's a lot of gray in here and we got to fix a lot of the gray. And, and that's, you know, people say to me, well, you just want to establish, you know, a, a lefty uh, Christian theocracy. Well, no, that's not what I want to do. <laughs> I mean, well, okay, maybe a little bit. But that's not what I, that, that's not what I advocate for. Getting right down uh, to it, Marsha. <laughs> pardon? pardon? I said we're getting right down to it. <laughs> yeah. But what I advocate for is uh, the First Amendment. We have to remember that there's only 45 words in it. There's only 45 words in the First Amendment. And it may be the most powerful 45 words strung together in a secular writing that have ever been written. Mm. If you really think about the power that they have. And so the reason that Madison and Jefferson and the other architects of the Bill of Rights did this was because they wanted us to have a a place to go where everybody can talk and they don't have to worry about slandering the crown like back in England and having maybe your tongue cut out. 
Yeah. Okay. That's true. We wanted to create a place for us to work stuff out. Yeah. And that means the, our best chance of doing that is when as many voices come together as possible to say their piece. And then, you know, we talk about it and we identify the problems and the issues and we try to work out a solution that serves the majority of the people. Yeah, That's yeah. what a democracy is all about. And that's what I'm advocating for. Because I hear a lot of people of faith say, well, you know, the separation of church and state, I can't, you know, go yell about Jesus saying, feed my sheep in the public square. Well, yeah, you can. Yeah, you can. Yes, you can. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you um, can. That's and, what it all says in there. <laughs> right. And so, you know, then once people realize that they can do it, then um, we have to instill confidence and provide tools and resources to get people basically off their duffs and go, you know, advocate for justice. Absolutely. That's what it's all about. And I love what you said. It It is really about giving us ways to work our stuff out. And that's so important. Mm-hmm. Marsha, we're going to take a quick break. We are going to hear from our sponsor and we will be right back. Top Dog Learning Group, LLC, is a leadership, change management, and diversity inclusion consulting firm based in Orlando, Florida, but with top doggers, aka consultants, throughout North America and beyond. They focus on training programs, both virtual and face-to-face, keynotes and lunch and learns, group and one-on-one coaching, and off-the-shelf solutions. One such solution is their masterclass on the top three strategies to be resilient in times of change. This thoughtful self-paced online training will guide you through three tactics you can use immediately, not just to survive, but to thrive when change comes at you. Use the code RESIL50OFF for 50% off the program. Just go to bit.ly forward slash 3A5M ls6 and enter the code resil 50 off in all capitals to redeem your 50 percent off coupon the link and code will be available in our show notes as well for easy access learn more today at topdoglearning.learningworlds.com and we are back with the Reverend Dr. Marsha Ledford, and we are talking about uh, not only her passion project, but really her belief that we can make a difference in our communities. So Marsha, you know, talk a little bit about, um, you know, my theme for the month is, you know, most of my followers are business people, they're entrepreneurs, they balance, you know, the success they're trying to have for themselves, but they also want to play a role in their communities. And not everybody's in Southwest or Southeast Detroit, but uh, what, um, what do you think that your message, your mission should tell all of us in terms of how we can really care for our communities, how we can use our, the power of our voice or our dialogue to make a difference wherever we are? Well, I think, um, Gonna go on a, a little to follow along with me on a, on a little <laughs> oh the bouncing ball <laughs> yeah so I, you're right not everybody is in Michigan like I am um, the immigration issues that I've discussed uh, affect our country on a national basis so if immigration is something that you want to work on you certainly can um, you know find somewhere near you to work on these issues. 
I really believe in what's called the spirituality of resistance. Many of us are very busy people. We, uh, if we are entrepreneurs, um, you know, that takes a lot of time. Uh, things bother us, but we feel like, oh, it's such a big complex problem and I don't really know what to do about it and blah, blah, blah. So um, I, this is what I recommend that people do. Um, and this goes for introverts and extroverts. There's a, a, a writing by St. Paul to the Corinthians and it's his first letter. And in the 12th chapter, he talks about being the body of Christ. And this has universal application. We're all human beings. You know, we all have a human connection to one another. And we, um, when he writes about that, when he writes about being the body of Christ, he talks about how we complement one another. And people are called to be teachers and preachers and exhorters and um, all of these things. And he asks, he loves to ask questions and then answer them himself. This is a, a <laughs> hallmark of Paul. And he says, you know, well, you know, if the if the body were all I, where would the hearing be? Right. In other words, we got to have everybody. And there are people who like to stay in the background and maybe do research or write speeches or write a check or, you know, whatever it may be. There's all kinds of ways that we can pitch in. The spirituality of resistance involves two things. And it, it involves, um, and I'm writing about this, it involves digging deep into yourself to determine, you know, what is an issue that really bothers you? It mm -hmm. wakes you up at night. It, it makes you uncomfortable. It, it makes you restless or angry or whatever. It disgusts you. Um, and then find a group that works on these issues. Work with people shoulder to shoulder mm -hmm. in a way that you um, accumulate and um you know, you, you bring all of your strengths together, like this analogy I just used of the body of Christ. Mm -hmm. Bring your talents, um, bring your extrovertedness or your introvertedness. It does, you know, it's fine. And work with a group on issues that are important to you. It is one of the most empowering things I have ever experienced in my life, which is why I work with Michigan United. Um, so that's a way, you know, uh, Google faith-based community organizing or not faith-based, you know, right. um, you may not have a faith-based organization near you, but you may have a non, you know, a, a, a secular community organizing. But let me tell you, a lot of the times these groups are working on stuff that very much has a, a faith-based aspect to it from what would be your perspective. Mm -hmm. So you don't have to call it that for it to be effective and still fill your uh, spiritual need to participate as a person of faith. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes it's the faith in humanity. Right. I have a download uh, that you can get. It's an easy one sheet and it's um, I, I think it's called um, six easy ways to be a faith-based advocate 10 minutes a day. Okay. And People will say to me, well, you know, I have a, uh, all my representatives in Congress do what I want them to do. So do I still need to call them? And I say, absolutely, you do. <laughs> I'm, I'm laughing because I'm thinking, what, what person does everything they want them to do? <laughs> well, yeah. You know, anyway, there is on, that. Anyway, but I mean, my two senators and my uh, congresswoman are great. They, they really um, 
get they get it. And as far as I'm concerned, you know, I, I feel like they are almost always voting the way I would vote on particular legislation. But they need to hear from me. They need to know that I love what they do because they need this to back up what actions they're taking. Now, obviously, if if, uh, you feel like um, your representatives in the Congress are not doing what you want them to do, then you need to be in touch. And particularly right now, I think moderate leaning Republicans can make a huge difference in what's going on with some of the uh, the stalling that is going on with some of the bit, the bigger bits of legislation. But the, the most important thing, it doesn't matter. Um, you know, I'm not going to tell you uh, what to say, but it is important because we have a representative government that we are in touch with these folks. They need to know that we are watching what they're doing. Right. Absolutely. And they need to know when they're doing good and when they're not. Exactly. So you can make a phone call or send a tweet. I've got a little video on how to tweet your representatives. It's very simple. And the politicians love Twitter. Oh, gosh, yes. That's the medium. <laughs> so, yeah. um, you know, there's there's lots of ways to be involved, even if you're super busy, even if it feels overwhelming, you know, even if it feels um, just too hard or too confrontational. There's lots of things that you can do. Yeah, and I agree. And Twitter is definitely today's stump, without a doubt. Yeah. Well, Marsha, I know we're going to have all your contact information on our show notes, but just in case somebody wants to look you up right now, especially if they want your six easy ways to be a faith-based advocate, what's the best way for them to find you? Sure, absolutely. That's on our homepage. It's at politicaltheologymatters.com, politicaltheologymatters.com. You can email me there too, Marsha at politicaltheologymatters.com. And you can go right to that page and and download uh, that sheet. And there's a resources page, which I recommend you go to and take a look around. And you can learn lots about what we're doing. Very good. Excellent. Well, before we go, do you have any last words of wisdom or pearls of advice for my listeners and viewers? Well, in light of the fact that your show is called Shock your potential. Um, I would like to say that one of the mottos I try to live by is we don't get a dress rehearsal. Mm. We don't get a do-over. This is is it on this earth. And it's up to us to fully self-actualize. And I think one of the greatest ways to do that is to be engaged in social justice action. I love it. Marsha, thank you so much for sharing your passion, sharing what you do and reminding us all that we have a part to play in all of our communities. It's been a pleasure having you with us today. Thank you so much. I love what you're doing with your show. And this has just been a great conversation. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us on another episode of the Shock Your Potential podcast. Learn more about us today at shockyourpotential.com, including details on Michael's two best-selling books. Tell me more how to ask the right questions and get the most out of your employees and sales mixology. Why the most potent sales and customer experiences follow a recipe for success. Make sure to check out our Shock Your Potential app on-demand professional training resources to help you excel in your career. And as always, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and like us today.